0: All right, well, this morning, um, I've, I've noticed over the last few weeks, a number of folks have made professions of faith for the first time in Christ, and um, I've been pondering kind of what God wants to do, and, and uh, one of the things he put on my heart is that um, now that you've come to this beginning knowledge of Christ, who it is that you've committed your life to, so I figured I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with what helped me when I first became a Christian, I was told countless times, go through the book of John, go through the book of John. I don't think I've ever taught through the book of John in its entirety. Uh, I've done a chronological study through the life of Christ with all four Gospels, but we're going to undertake, starting this morning, a study in the book of John. So if you have a Bible, open up to John. It goes in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, first chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, these lovely folks will give you one. So just raise your hand, they'll hand it to you. Gospel of John. Before I have you stand um, for the reading of the Word of the Lord, I, I want to read to you um, out of the beginning of the book. These aren't the verses we're going to study in depth. I'm going to uh, this morning go a little bit further down in the first chapter, but I want to read uh, the first portion of, of John chapter 1. Uh, the Apostle John's writing it. He's also going to speak of another man named John the Baptist. Both are named John, but they're two different folks. And, um, and John, the apostle wants to present Jesus to the world so that you know who he is. And he begins with a very famous statement. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And as you notice in your scriptures, the word word is capitalized. It's a proper noun. That's the name of Jesus. They're calling him the word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. And he is the word, the embodiment of truth. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So John points out that Jesus comes into the world, he is the embodiment of truth, he is the word, and he is the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness doesn't comprehend it. And then you drop down to verse 14, and he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among them. In the Greek language of the original writing of the New Testament, this idea of dwelt among them is tabernacled, lived with them. It is a fulfillment of prophecy, and we find this in Matthew. Matthew is a a Jew, and he writes in relation to this idea of Emmanuel. Uh, That's out of Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, that behold, the virgin will be with child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, means that he tabernacled with us. He took on human flesh and he walked with us. And so here, John, uh, the apostle John is declaring that he tabernacled with us in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Then you go down to verse 29, verse 29. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist is out in the wilderness baptizing people under repentance. He sees Jesus approaching. He points to him, and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There were two people present at that moment. And and as they saw, this was Andrew and John, they, they witnessed John the Baptist looking at Jesus and saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would hear later in verse 34, John the Baptist saying of Jesus, and I have seen and testified that this is the son of God, that that this Jesus is the son of God. So at that moment, there are two men present, Andrew and John. They witness John the Baptist seeing Jesus arrive. They see him declare that he is the son of God, that he is God, that he, 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 he dwelt with man, he and uh, that they declare him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then he testifies that this is the Lamb of God. So they're baffled by it, and they're moved by it. And then now that Jesus is on the scene, we're gonna pick up and see exactly what happens with these two men and four others. How four, or a total of six men are deeply touched by the presence of Christ and the testimony of John the Baptist. So with that, we're gonna stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and I'm going to read starting in verse 35 of the same chapter. Again, the next day, John the Baptist with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the lamb of God. So he says it again. The two two disciples heard John speak and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and this was John and Andrew. they, they, They were following Jesus and Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said to them, what do you seek? What are you after? It's a great question. They said to him rabbi which is to be translated teacher where are you staying he said to them come and see they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day and now was about the 10th hour so they were with him quite a while one of the two had heard john speak and followed him and was andrew and simon's peter brother simon peter's brother he first found his own brother simon and said to him we have found the messiah which is translated christ so if any of you are wondering if Jesus' last name was Christ, it's not. Christ is his title. It means Messiah, okay? Amen. And he brought him to Jesus, and now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was uh, known in Roman times as a place where all the brothels existed. So I guess, uh, can anything good come of Vegas? So his name is Jesus of Vegas is the best. And Philip doesn't argue with him. Philip says, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or guile. Nathanael said to him How how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him Rabbi you are the son of God you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him Because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would explain to us what this means and inspire us by the response of six men. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth that we would rightly divide your word, which is alive. It's living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Jesus, you are the word and we thank you for the word. We thank you that our lives have been transformed by the truth of your word. We ask, Lord, that you'd minister to all who are present, even those who struggle believing it to be true. We know that faith is a gift from God. I pray that you'd give them that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. I pray today their heart would be softened as they come to understand it. And so, Lord, we know that salvation is a work of God. It's not done by man. We ask that you would move, Holy Spirit, and touch lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. I've shared before um, kind of a picture God gave me as a minister here um, and, and being active in the community. And, and one of the things that was was touching to my heart was a passage of Scripture, as I've shared a few times, out of 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. It's a a story of David's mighty men uh, that that (laughs) battled with him. And they were all basically Medal of Honor recipients. And the third one in the line in verse 11 is a guy by the name of Shammah, who was told to protect a lentil field from the Philistines. And again, lentils, if you put a jar of them together, they look like a jar of beans. And Shammah stood alone, defended the lentil field from the Philistines, and uh, did what he was called to do. Oftentimes you feel like, God, you know, maybe I'm not making a difference, uh, I, you know, why am I here? We all go through self-doubt and struggle. And in the, mom- in the midst of that, God said, this is your bean patch, Rob. You do for it what Shema did for the lentil field. And, and with that picture, I thought, you know, God, I, I can't make a difference in the state or the nation or the world, but I can make a difference right here. The idea of blooming where you're planted. And, and I said the same thing to the staff. And, and when the Lord says that you're the salt and the light, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, salt penetrates and light radiates. And they're, they're, it's a preservative and it brings life. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do in a, in a fallen world that's struggling. We go in and we penetrate and we radiate. Yet I've noticed over the years as the church has is, is incubated itself, it's isolated itself, And we stay within the walls and we complain what's out there. And we're embittered to what's out there. And we're caustic to what's out there. We we don't engage and we don't preserve and we don't enlighten. And we're we're more concerned with just having our little fiefdoms and what we have. And everyone else is is lost and confused and and they're the enemy instead of opportunity. We're we're angered towards them instead of loving them. And and it isolates us. And and we watch as the church becomes um, almost insignificant um, we 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 work ourselves into obscurity until the last one out turns off the light. We've watched as denominations are imploding in our country. We're watching as churches are closing. The attrition rate of pastors is astronomically high. And uh, I was shocked to find out uh, I'm the longest serving, continually serving senior pastor in the Conejo Valley. Uh, the, 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 well, that just means I'm next. Whatever is going to happen. <laughs> but thank you for clapping. No, but the idea is it, it is, it is a short-lived profession. And it's, it's one that's uh, dangerous in some respects. Uh, you're a danger to yourself. You can be a danger to others if you're not, if your eyes aren't on the Lord. You can be an example to a community, but you can also be an example of what not to be in a community. Um, there, there are folks, uh, churches, it, it, it's, it's a difficult, difficult realm. So when I see this idea of being salt and being light and, and penetrating and radiating or illuminating. This is, this is what we're called to do. So I told the staff, I said, look, let's get out of the building. Let's go into the community. I would like that. You're not even in the office during the week. I want you to be involved in, in high school volleyball teams. I want you to be involved in after school events. I want you to be involved in, in clubs in the community. I want you to get into the community in every nook and cranny so that you can be touched by them and they'll be touched by you. So I, I, I listened to my own counsel and I joined Kiwanis. Oh, well, we got one Kiwanis here. <laughs> It's a very vibrant group, and I'm it's actually a very lovely group, and I joined them, and the reason why I joined them is my father growing up was a Rotarian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, God-fearing, but not, not church-going, and, um, or I should say God-honoring, but not, not uh, church-attending. So my dad was a Rotarian, and I remember when I used to attend the Rotarian meetings, my dad used to say, the, ro- the Rotary guys write the checks, and the Kiwanis guys do the work, and, 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 uh, and my dad struggled, uh, and, and there was also, I, I remember back then, that there were really no ministers in the Rotary, and I thought, well, then I'll, I'll participate with Kiwanis because I don't have the money to write the checks, but I have the ability to provide service to the community, and I come to find out there aren't any ministers in Kiwanis either. I'm the, the one, <laughs> how about that? But I, I joined Kiwanis. And it was fascinating to me, the minute I come in, lovely people, but I noticed that a number of the folks in the last election that I ran, a number of the folks that are in Kiwanis were were on the flyers and the mailers of my opponent. And I thought, I just saw pictures of you. And now I see you here. And you're very nice. And I knew nothing about you before other than I didn't like you. And all of a sudden, I, it's, it's, a, it's a total change. They're delightful folks. And my heart's being moved. And, and San Lee, who's the president of the Kiwanis, uh, she's the first woman elected to the presidency of the Kiwanis here in this chapter. And last week, I was at the meeting, and they, they, they host them uh, Wednesday mornings at 7.15. I almost didn't become a Kiwanis because of that. <laughs> but I was at the meeting, and, and it was you know it's fun to be a part of it, and I'd just uh, been inducted into the club, and... I'd participated in Meals on Wheels and done a couple of things. And, and San, is, she's just got this vibrant personality. And they had a speaker that day that was taking him through breathing exercises and things like that. And I had to go. So I was just walking out saying goodbye and putting my badge in and going out to the foyer. And I heard a loud thump. And I turned and I looked. And, and San had, doing the breathing exercise, she had passed out and hit her head really hard. Bam. And I just turned to the guy and said, you better call 911. And sure enough, they all came. And I had to head out and i went and did the things i had to do and i went by the hospital which is what i do and i went by the hospital visit and i as i was walking in i saw another person saying my mother's here so i went to visit her and then i went down to go visit san and i walked in and there she was and you know she had her phone and, and she had an ice pack on her head and they kept her overnight for observations and it was a concern cuz she had a big hematoma and i looked at her and i said san you know the cool thing about being in a hospital as busy as you are and you're probably one of the busiest people i've ever met I said, you have a perfect excuse not to have to do anything. The world goes on without you. Just turn off your phone. Everybody gets it. You don't have to do anything. They expect you to rest and get better. Everybody's praying for you. This is one of the most comfortable beds if you can, if you can embrace that idea. I said, San, I, I'm a minister and I represent the Lord and I want you to know God's heart for you. He is giving you permission to rest. You don't have to worry about a thing. Everybody's got it. Just rest and get better. That's what God's called you to do. It was as though uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came in and just touched her. She just, oh. And I said, Sam, can I pray for you? She says, would you? I laid hands on her. I prayed for her. And I said, you got to minister now. She goes, we do, you know? And I, and I left, and I just felt God's joy. And, and that was lovely. And the people I've met and the things I've done, and, and I say this because... I didn't share the gospel. I didn't take her through the four spiritual laws. I didn't, I didn't call for the question to demand that she pray to receive Christ. We have, we have a lot of expectations in the body of Christ of what needs to be done for people to be saved. But what's fascinating is in my 50 years on this earth, and I'm no wise old owl, but I know a few things, When I get to verse 35, to the conclusion of the chapter, I'm comforted and encouraged and educated and equipped by the Lord himself. We all want to understand about evangelism and our role in the community. How does this work? Well, let's follow the passage and see what God does to reach his community. It begins where John the Baptist has declared that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's baptizing in the wilderness. Jesus goes there. John actually baptizes him. John is the Elijah. John the Baptist is the Elijah paving the way. He goes on to say that he came before me. And, and I imagine, imagine John and, and, uh, and Andrew are both baffled by that statement because how could Jesus have come before you when you were born six months earlier? And they've been following John the Baptist. They're, they've been a disciple of John the Baptist. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up and they're intrigued because John, go, John the Baptist goes on to say that I must decrease and Christ must increase. I'm paving the way. And, and John the Baptist and Jesus were related. They were cousins. And, and, and John the Apostle and Andrew are both baffled by that and they're intrigued. And so when Jesus starts to leave that location, the two of them follow him. So John the Baptist loses two disciples and, and John and Andrew begin to follow Jesus. And as they're following, it says the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. They were moved by his words because he is the word, he's the embodiment of truth. And they, they heard him speak and they begin to follow him. And Jesus turns to them and he sees them following. He says to them this sentence, and I want you to hear it because it applies to everyone in the room. What are you, what are you looking for? Why are you here? What are you seeking? What are you longing for? In the last service, my daughter was here, Natasha. Amen. Amen. She's getting ready to go for a year a Teen Challenge. Her own choosing. A little over a year ago, she, you know, we adopted her, we met her when she was 11, adopted her when she was 12, she's 21 now. About the age of 17, 12 years of misery that she had endured that we knew nothing about just flooded her. It's like this rusty old pipe just got opened up and and all these things just hit her. And I I, I could spend the day telling you what she's endured. And at 17 years of age, having been moved from a, a country and coming here, having to learn a new language, live with a new family, be exposed to a religion she knew nothing about prior to coming here. And now, here she is, she's struggling, and, and, and she came to me one day and she says, Dad, I gotta go, I gotta go. Because she couldn't connect with the Lord at that moment. It was all baffling to her. American Christianity was just trying to wrap her mind around she'd been raised in, a, in the remnants of a communist society, and, and, and it, was, it was tough. And and here she was exposed to capitalism and and an abundance of of things, and she just thought, it's out there somewhere. I got to go find it. She was seeking something. And and the night she said, Dad, I got to move. I'm going to move to Oxnard and live on my own. I said, Honey, people spend their life trying to get out of Oxnard. Why are you moving in there? (laughs) For those of you from Oxnard, forgive me. Good things can come from Oxnard. And I remember the the night she left, her her car was packed to the rafters. And I I said, honey, you only owe me one thing as you're leaving. She goes, what's that, dad? I said, if you find anything better than Jesus out there, you got to come tell me. And you can almost see the smile, dad, it isn't, but I just got to do this. She was seeking something. And She's just like me, her daddy. She's she's experiential. I'll run my head into a brick wall, and, and it seemed like a crack. Let's do it again. Boom, you know, and blood's pouring down my. And she's just gotta. I gotta figure this out. I that uh, there's a way around this, and I gotta do it, and I gotta do it on my own. And that's that's the way God's wired her. That's her characteristic. And and she got in the car, and right when she got in, it started raining. So it could hide my tears. And she drove down the hill into Oxnard. I went into the house and. And somebody was cooking sausage. I can't remember who it was. It was like the Adele's chicken and apple sausage. And food is a coping mechanism for me, as you can tell. <laughs> and, I, and I come into the house and it smells so good. And I just go over to comfort myself. And I, you know, they have it cut up and I'm taking a piece of it. And it's all browned and smells so good. And I am like, man, this is good. And the person who's cooking, I can't remember who it was. The person who's cooking and says, yeah, but you don't want to know how it's made. Sausage, it's good, but you don't want to know how it's made. <laughs> and right there, the Lord spoke to my heart. You don't want to see what's going to happen with Natasha but you're going to love the finished product when I when I when I get a hold of her. And with that I settled in there. And she went down to go find whatever she was seeking. And I went back into the Lord I'd already found. And I cried to to him and he heard my cry and ministered to my heart. And I share that because what are you seeking? This is the question that Jesus asked. Andrew and, and John as they were following him. What are you, what are you looking for? they had heard about repentance. They'd been in the wilderness. Their hearts were hungry. And, they, and, he, and Jesus turns to them as they're following him because John had declared that, that behold the Lamb of God. And he turns and he says, what are you looking for? And you know what? You're here this morning. What, what are you looking for? Some of you may not even be looking, don't think you're looking for anything and you're here and you're wondering, oh man, where's he going with this? I'm, I'm just talking about the text. Are you looking for fame? We watch The Voice on Hulu, plus, and then, and we watch it because you don't have to deal with commercials, and you can you know get rid of the stuff you don't like. and And I, I remember the tryouts, and some of the people that would sing. And if you watch American Idol, they some of the people sing, and they put them in there kind of funny. and 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 they come out to, you know, interview for for the possibility of going forward in the contest. And they're so bad that you couldn't get a group of cats to allow them to, to sc- scream with them. They're awful. And they look at the judges incredulous. What, what, what do you mean that I'm not being advanced forward? I could, how come you, you, can't, you can't promote me? I am a gift to the community and society. And you're looking at the judges going, please don't torture us. If they sing, it'll loosen my feelings. Don't do this. And they, they, they're incredulous. Like, you don't see this. They, they, they come to be affirmed in their giftings. They have none. You know, I've, I've found over time, and some of you won't come in for counseling anymore, but i found over time where, and I haven't done it recently, um, but, but they, they, you know, you'll get somebody who'll come to you, and they're longing for affirmation, but they come to you, and they, they think that they're sly, and they go, I, I hate myself. I, I, hate, I hate myself. I'm ugly, and I just, I don't love me. I go, yes, you do. No, pastor, I don't. I don't love me. I hate myself. I'm ugly. If you hated yourself, you'd be happy you're ugly. (laughs) See what I mean? You don't want to come. (laughs) But what I say to them is, I said, let me tell you what you're really saying. What you're saying is, Would you you affirm me? You're wanting me to say, you're not ugly, you're beautiful, you're handsome. You want to be affirmed and you're going about it in any way you can to get whatever it is you're seeking. And if I could tell you all day long that you're beautiful or tell you all day long that you're, whatever it is, is that going to be enough? Is that enough to go into the vein? Is it wealth? If I win the lottery, I'll be happy Why are they never happy? And why do their families hate them and everything murder each other to get the money? If wealth made you happy, why are there so many miserable rich people? That's not to say that you can't be rich and happy, but the Lord has to be a part of the equation. Are you looking for joy? The Bible says, in him is the fullness of joy. You're looking for affirmation. Think about the idea that Jesus says to you, you are my son or you are my daughter. I left the glory of heaven's throne for you. Every tear you've ever cried, I have in a bottle. I have every hair in your head numbered. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. You've been created in my image, God says. You want more affirmation than that. And you dismiss that like, well, that's not what I'm looking for. Well, you go out and look for it. And you'll find yourself in Oxnard wondering what the heck have I done? And maybe you're experiential like me, and you're going to get yourself down a road you never wanted to be down. Well, this is exactly what Jesus says. What are you, what are you looking for? And, 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 and the beauty of it is, take an honest assessment. What are you looking for? Sometimes you, you found what you're looking for, but then you've been walking with the Lord so long, you, you forgot what it is that brought you joy, and you're struggling in your Christian walk. And I, I would ask you right now, okay, you walked away from the thing that was blessing you, but what are you looking for now? An extramarital affair? Is that going to make you happy? What's lacking at the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart, and the the picture for all of you is what are you looking for? And this is what Jesus says to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, translated teacher, they're they're acknowledging his authority in their life. They say, Where are you staying? I mean, we want to come hang out with you. Where are you staying? It's like, well, okay, Carpenter's family. I'm a poor guy. It's a single room. I mean, if this is, is, this, is this really the question? But he looks at them, and he says, come and see. Come and see. The beauty of it is, Jesus says, what are you looking for? And basically, you're looking at the embodiment of joy, the embodiment of affirmation, the embodiment of wealth. This pavement in heaven is gold. You want to see wealth? You're going to have your mind blown. You don't know wealth. I, it's all mine. The, I, the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, whatever you're seeking, just come and see. Come and see. Follow me. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day and it was about the 10th hour. They stayed a while. I would have loved to have known what that conversation was about. I mean, how, how can John be born six months earlier than you and then he, you came before him and Elijah and he says, you're the Lamb of God and then we think about the idea of, uh, John would write later that, that he, he, the word became flesh and dwelt with man, you tabernacle with us and you're Emmanuel and, and the conversation must have been phenomenal. And then verse 40, after this long conversation at Jesus' house, one of the two in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So Andrew, is, is, he's hearing what John said and he's listening to Jesus speak. And Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. So he first found his own brother. So the, the way that the text is laid out Andrew goes and finds his brother first. And John went and found his brother. So you you have Peter, James, and John. James is the brother of John. They're the sons of Zebedee. So John would go and find his brother. Andrew went and found his brother. His brother was Simon Peter. He found his own brother Simon. He said to him, we have found the Messiah. That's a pretty big thing to say to a family member. The first thing that Andrew does is he goes and tells his family. That's some of the hardest people to share the gospel with. And Andrew goes and tells Simon Peter and, and, and tradition tells us that Simon Peter was a beast of a man. Even if you look in scripture, they couldn't haul in the fish but Simon Peter did it on his own. This guy was probably ripped. I remember when we were in Caicos and, and there was a, uh, uh, um, uh, an African Caicos man and, his, and he was driving us and I have never in all my life seen hands as big as this man's hands. He, he, he shook my hand to say goodbye, and my hand disappeared. It was like he shook my hand with a baseball glove. Just went hum. Massive mitts, and he ripped, and he could just, boom, one punch, and, and he'd kill my whole family. <laughs> I envisioned Peter like that, just massive fisherman hands. And, and Andrew coming up going, hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. And, and you can imagine Peter with his eyebrow up, really. And, and he, and he brought him to Jesus. He saw him and he brought him to Jesus. And he he said, we found the Messiah. And he physically brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he's approaching. Jesus looks at Peter. And you can imagine Peter kind of with a John Wayne walk, just like, and, and Jesus just looking at him. And, and when it says it looks at when, when it says here, when Jesus looked at him in, in the Greek, it means that he looked into his soul. He looked at him intellectually with intent. You, you know how people have looked at you that way? That's how my, my grandson, Oliver is. He's like, I'm stealing your soul. <laughs> and Jesus looks at, at Peter and as he's looking at him and he's, he's, he's engaging with his eyes, as he, as he looks at him, he, he says, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. Peter's like, yeah, so you know my name. He says, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. This is who you are, and this is who you'll become. This is how Jesus deals with us. I remember when he first met me? Well, let me correct that. When I first met him, he's always known me. He looked at me and he says, Rob, you're a liar. You're a thief, you're a cheat, you're a deceiver, you're a drug user, you're a fornicator, but you will become a faithful husband, father, grandfather, minister, friend. I would have never thought that. I come home on some days, I look at my kids, and I think every one of them was switched at the hospital. (laughs) None of these children could be mine. None of them. I mean, what was I doing at their age? Uh, I was putting nails under car tires, I was stealing hood ornaments off of cars. I was experimenting in drugs in the fourth grade. And I'm looking at my kids. I'm like, you got a a what, an A? I never even saw an A. This is who you are, and this is who you'll become. What are you looking for? Who do you want to become? Jesus says, I already know. He would look at Peter, and you can imagine... He looks at him, he says, you're Simon, son of Jonah, but you're going to become the stone, the rock. On the testimony of your faith, the church will be built. Peter, I want you to know something. You're going to be crucified upside down in front of your wife. You're going to be, you're going to be scared to death, and you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, and then shortly thereafter, you're going to be so strong in your faith, you're going to stand before thousands fearlessly professing the gospel. You're going to turn the world right side up. Those hands that that can tear a person apart will, will embrace and love the community in which I will call them and you will be their shepherd. This is who you are, but this is who you shall be. And some of you have experienced that where God has met you and shown you who you will become. Then the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me, I love the Philips of the world. The Philips of the world, I have an orange tree in my backyard. And it's fitting because as Pastor Phil was here last week, you remember Pastor Phil and his wife Lisa? And, and they live in Cisco, Texas. They don't get fresh produce out there. And and, and, and Phil goes, man, I love oranges. Like, oh, I got an orange tree out here. And and Philip here in the passage, all Jesus said was, follow me. And he did it. He was low-hanging fruit. I brought Pastor Phil out to the backyard and he wanted an orange. And I had an orange tree out there. And I went up to an orange and I could tell it was just... It was just so ready to eat and I just went and it just dropped into my hand. Just came right off the stem, boop. And I ripped it open with my thumbs and I handed it to him. He took a bite and you could just see his face light up. He's never had anything that good in all his life. And welcome to California. I wonder why anyone ever moves. But you see the taxes and then you know, yes. And, and Lisa the same. And, and this, is, this, is, this is like Philip in this passage. He's low-hanging fruit. He's the kind of guy that he's been so prepped, so primed, that you just touch him and he falls. You just touch him and he follows. And Jesus just looked at Philip and, and wherever Philip had been, whatever he had done, he was so prepared that all Jesus had to say was, follow me. Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And so... Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him whom Jesus in the law, whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. He comes up to his brother, Nathanael, and and we know Nathanael to be Bartholomew, the same interchanging. Bartholomew is son of Ptolemy, which means those who study the scriptures, and we know Nathanael is Bartholomew in that sense. They're one and the same, disciples. Same person, different names. One is a last name, one is a first name. So, so, Nathaniel, son of Tholomy, Tholomy means studier of scripture, and, and he comes up to him, and his brother, Philip, comes up to him and he says, We found the Messiah whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And he knows his brother. Nathaniel's a different kind of guy. Nathaniel is intellectual. Some of you, you're like Philip. You just, you're, you, you just follow Jesus. Okay, okay. He's, I, I saw his eyes. I'm in. You, you, there's just some sort of an emotional connection, whatever it is you're in. You know, you, you go to the horse races, you're the Philip, you go to the horse races and, and, and you pick a horse. You're like, you know, you have the handicap sheets and they've done all the investigation. They've watched the training and they've seen if there's any wounds on the horses and how they run in a shorter distance and in a wet track. Or, and you come, you go, oh, I just love the name. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this horse, this horse. You're the Philip. But then the Nathaniel is the guy that is intellectual. He's, he's, he's mind oriented. He's, he's got to figure it all out. It's, it's engineering. You want to talk about the second law of thermodynamics and entropy and entropy and, and, and you, you, you want to know about creative design and then how it is in conflict with evolutionary processes and, and you wouldn't, and, and Philip is, is so not like his brother. And he comes up and he's trying to be intellectual and he goes, uh, Nathaniel, we uh, I wanted to tell you that we found him, whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. The scriptures that you've been studying, because you're son of Ptolemy and you study scriptures and you know the word. This is the one that Moses, um, prophetically speaking, and he doesn't even really go through a great introduction. He's just trying to be something to Nathaniel so that Nathaniel's interested. And he says, it's Jesus of Nazareth?" And immediately Nathaniel, being brilliant, goes. <laughs> Can anything good come from Nazareth? I'm sorry, Jesus of Vegas. N- Nazareth to a Galilean, Nazareth to somebody from Bethsaida, Nazareth from a Judean. The Nazareth was Hicksville. They had they had a drawl, just like Pastor Phil last week. Hi, we're going to the Stour. Is there something wrong with you? Every, and the way you, you say something is always like it's a question. You end on an up note. We're going to the store. Uh, I'm sorry, is that a question? Or a statement? Drives me crazy. And they're so slow. Same amount of time, less words. I told you that last week. Well, that's how they felt about people from Nazareth. They had a drawl. They were slow. They, they looked down on them. And, and it's amazing how we judge people. It is amazing how we judge people. Oh, you are convinced what is necessary unto salvation and how people come to Christ. I remember listening to Every Man in Answer with Pastor Chuck Smith, a young girl. She was 22 years old, and she was pushing. And Pastor Chuck, when did you pray the sinner's prayer to receive Jesus Christ? He says, I don't ever remember praying the sinner's prayer. I can't remember ever once praying the sinner's prayer. And she was burdened by that. She says, "Well, when did you become a Christian?" He says, I, "I've been a Christian my whole life." For, for for evangelicals who are committed to that, that statement is like, "Oh, oh, that's bad." No, I've raised in a church. I've known the Lord all my life. And she was burdened by that. Pastor Chuck, how do you know you're saved then if you've never said those things? This is a man that has transformed the world. The world's been used by God's used him to touch the world. 1,600 churches around the world, and we're still struggling. Did you say the prayer? And this poor girl, she's pushing. Did you say the prayer? Chuck's like, sweetie, I know the Lord. I've known him my whole life. I can't remember if it's helping you. I can't remember ever the, that time. I just know that I've always walked with him. That's a testimony. But some of you are struggling over that. I'll show you you're biased. I mean, June 2nd, we have an election. I, I don't know if any of you know that. I'm, there's only one issue. I'm in that part of that there. But you're going you're gonna to vote. So just like in, a, in an election, you've got to know the candidates. All right, so let me give you three political candidates. His, historically speaking, these are three candidates and I, I want you to do your homework. I'm gonna list the three candidates for you. The first candidate speaks with astrologers and medians and, and war, ward healers, the occult. They, they, they've had two mistresses, they drink eight to 10 martinis Uh, a day and they're chain smoker. The second candidate was kicked out of office twice, sleeps till noon, used opium in college and drinks a quart of brandy every evening. The third candidate is a decorated war hero, a vegetarian, does not smoke, has never had an illicit adulterous affair, drinks an occasional beer and loves dogs. (laughs) The first candidate the one who consults medians and astrologers and had two mistresses and eight to 10 martinis and a chain smoker, that's Franklin Roosevelt. The second one who had been kicked out of office twice, sleeps till noon, used opium in college and drinks a quart of brandy every night is Winston Churchill. The third, who is a decorated war hero, a vegetarian, doesn't smoke, has never had an illicit adulterous affair and drinks an occasional beer and loves dogs is Adolf Hitler. And you were all excited about the vegetarian dog lover. <laughs> my, my point is this. God baffles us in this, in this equation because with Nathaniel, Philip is, is low-hanging fruit, but when he brings Nathaniel, as, as, as he, he says all these questions, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip doesn't argue with him. It's amazing how we want to close the deal and we just shove it down somebody's throat and we start arguing. And an offended brother is harder one than a fortified city. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's almost like you're looking past them as a person and you're looking at them as a as a project. You go why don't you go visit them in the hospital? and provide the ministry of presence. Now some of you have been gifted with evangelism, but you also know the tactfulness that comes with that. That they're people, not projects. And you love them. There's no enemies, there are opportunities. And, and and as and as Philip is confronted with can anything good come out of Nazareth? He doesn't go, are you you don't know this guy? What is your problem? The, the, the dove descended in the form of a Holy Spirit and, and, and John the Baptist said the, the heavens and God spoke and said this is my bull. no, 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 no I just love Philip's response to him Nathaniel's a little caustic. he goes can anything good come of Nazareth he's jabbing him jabbing him you can't, you, can't, you can't jab a dead man and, and Philip's response was come and see I, I, I don't even want to remotely engage in y- your ability to, to have intellectual circles around me, but you should come and see him. Just just come and see. It's like the blind man who'd been healed, and they were saying, was it your sin or your parents' sin that, that caused your blindness? He goes, I can't even embrace your theological questioning. I, my head hurts. That's weird. Um, But I know this, I was blind, and now I've been healed. And the guy over there, Jesus, did it. Come and check him out. Come on. Let me tell you what a testimony is. This is what my life was like before I knew the Lord. This is how I came to know the Lord, and this is how my life has changed since knowing the Lord. Everybody can do that. And Philip just says, just come and see what I saw. And based on that relationship and that familial relationship, Nathaniel's in. Son of Tholome, educated. He studies the scriptures. He's ready to contend with Jesus. And verse 47 says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I was cracking up at this one. No deceit, no guile. It comes out of Genesis 28. When he says, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit. He was referring to Jacob. Jacob's name was heel catcher, supplanter, deceiver. And, he's, and God said, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. It's like, Nathaniel, what? And in the Mishnah, it says that you should study under a fig tree. There were other writings in this regard that this is a good place to absor- absorb the scriptures. And, and that's what Nathaniel was doing, son of Ptolemy, He's under the fig tree and, and he's studying. I, I imagine he's studying in, in Genesis 28. He's studying about, about Jacob and Israel and, and, and God changing his name. And the reason why I say that is because. Nathaniel said to him at that moment, how do you know me? Where did you come up with that? I was alone under that fig tree reading about Jacob. I imagine he was reading out of Genesis 28 and he got to that place and he probably said in his heart, God, I don't want to be a Jacob. And then he says, behold an Israelite in whom there's no guile, no deceit. And, 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 and Nathanael just looks at him, he says, how do you know me? There's an amazing thing about the Lord. He he. All things are laid bare before his eyes. He made you. He made me. He knows everything about you. He knows every struggle you face and every coping mechanism you apply. He knows everything about you. And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now that's, I imagine Nathaniel, he's probably comforted and frightened all at the same time. I mean, think of the stuff that we've been doing in secret. And God's like, I, I, I was there when it happened. I know what happened to you. I'm gonna use it together for good in your life. I, I'm gonna pick up the pieces and strengthen in a fallen world, I'm a God who makes sense. And I'll use all those things, just give them to me. And, and he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel answered at that moment, he just says, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you got me. I can't argue with you, I, I, I can't contend with you, you're the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And exclamation point, I'm in. Jesus answered and said to him, because I, I said I, to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you, you now believe? You're going to see greater things than these. He says, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending. I love the order. Ascending and descending upon the son of man. You know what he's referring to in Genesis 28 is Jacob's ladder. He says, you're not going to be a Jacob. You're going to be an Israelite. There won't be any guile in you. You're going to see angels ascending and descending. I love the order again. The reason why is because as we, 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 we did the, the verse in Azrael's dedication about guardian angels, everybody has one. Maybe some have more. I know my grandson has more. And, and I love that they ascend. They're here. They're ministering agents. The, the, the scripture says they're ministering agents of God. And, and they're, they're already here and they're caring for you. And sometimes you entertain them unaware. Some of you are thinking I'm creepy. Just read the scriptures. And, and I, I, I've seen them work. I've watched, I've watched Oliver going right to the corner of a table. He's just going headlong. I call him Naphod, no apparent fear of death. He's, he's, you know, he's just, and he, he doesn't have any teeth, and he eats food, meat, ch- rice, just, and, and you think, oh, you're going to cause him to choke. No, he puts in just like a leopard seal, just brings it down, just. Argh, argh. Whole chickens, argh. just, no, I'm kidding, but. Monstery kid. And and he's he's just he's just about to fall into it because he's crawling and climbing everything. He's just about to walk. He's ridiculous. He's just and as he's falling for the corner of this thing, you just watch it just miraculously just move out of the way. He lands in a pillow. (laughs) And you can imagine that angel, that angel going, I'm I I need to ascend, I need a break. (laughs) I'll descend later, but I need a little R and R. And they're up there and they're like, I can't keep up with this kid. It's absolutely exhausting. And I don't think anything's going to good from this child because he's just so rambunctious. He's out of control and he's, he's going to be a drummer. And that's evil because it's syncopated <laughs> rhythms and he's good at it. <laughs> and, and, and yet they look around and they say, oh, wait a minute though. There, there's Simon, who's now Peter. And we, we labor with that fellow, but man, he's a rock. God, we get, okay, I'm rested. I get the vision and they come back down. And and all that to say that is, as, as we go through this passage of scripture, the one thing that blows my mind is it's not until a year later that Jesus looks at these men and he says, Come and follow me. Come and follow me. No guile, no argument. He just says, Come and follow me. If you pressure somebody into the kingdom, the enemy can pressure them out. I mean, you look at Nicodemus. He's a goody two-shoes. This guy is moral. He, he's a religious leader. He's, and, 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 and Jesus looks at him and says, you need to be born again. And you see the woman who had five husbands and, and then is living with a man, and, and Jesus leads her to the Lord. You see the woman caught in adultery, brought to Jesus as a spectacle in front of a crowd. This woman gives her heart to the Lord. She gets it. Nicodemus takes a while. He struggles. But the reality is whatever, what, whatever it is that brings you to that place of decision Jesus said, "I'm the way. It's it's. You get to the Father through the Son. Jesus is the stairway, and the angels ascend and descend. Jesus is the direction to the Father, and it's by His blood that you come. and And I love the idea that they say we found the Messiah. No, they didn't. He was never lost. They were. We're the ones lost." we're wandering looking for something and all along he's been right in front of you. And everywhere you turn and everywhere you look, you haven't found him because you haven't been looking. But whether a family member brings you or the Lord reveals himself to you, I was thinking about the engineer, married 70 years to his wife. She loved the Lord and she'd share the Lord with him. And he he berated her as an engineer and he made fun of her and ridiculed her and, and intellectual, educational, scientific circles around her. And then he he was placed in a rest home because of his failing health and she was incapable of caring for him because of her age. And she'd visit him every day. And she came in one day, and the man said, He's not in his room, he's in the chapel. She goes, He's in the chapel? Yes. She goes into the chapel and pensively opens the door. And when she walks in, he's weeping in the chapel. She says, Honey, why are you crying? She says, he says to her, Last night, Jesus appeared to me in the corner of my room. I believe, I, I, I've, I've given my heart to the Lord. He says, Honey, I'm so sorry the way I've treated you all these 70 years. Forgive me. That doesn't happen to everybody, it's, it's probably the, the exception, not the rule but there's a myriad of ways to come to Christ and some of you have the gift of evangelism some of you don't I would just simply say there are times where I've asked people to pray the sinner's prayer I've asked them to respond to Christ there's other times where maybe you haven't raised your hand look God knows what he's doing I call for the question my job is just to bring you to the Lord and faith salvation is a gift of God I'll tell you this morning, and this is what we close with. What are you looking for? Because in him, you'll find everything. And today, you've seen six men that came from all different directions to the same conclusion. And they're going to go on to change the world. And God wants to do that in your life. I'm going to pray. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me, please? Lord thank you for your word and we thank you for just a, a powerful picture of not only your your miraculous hand in Azrael's life but Lord in the lives of these six men in the way in which you reveal yourself and you pursue us and God you weren't lost we are if we didn't find you you found us and you've always been with us and yet you're, you're one comment away Lord help me and at that moment, you, you move heaven and earth to reveal yourself to people. You can declare that I saw you under the fig tree. You can look at somebody and know that they're ready and say, follow me. You can bring a family member to draw us to church. However you want to do it, Lord. We're lost and we need you. Help me, Lord. That's the cry of your heart, the desire of your soul. You may or may not even raise your hand but the reality is God who began a good work is faithful to complete it. That's not to deny what an evangelist does in calling people to the question but today you know what the question is and you know what you've been looking for and you know who has the answers and who has the provision and that's the Lord. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah, God with us. Come and see and you have. Now go and tell. You are now the embodiment of Christ and you're gonna walk into a Kiwanis meeting or a hospital room and you're gonna present Christ just like John and Andrew did. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you that you found us. And for those in the room for the first time, you have come to a saving knowledge of Christ knowing that, that you have access to the Father through the shed blood of his Son. We rejoice with you this morning. And we thank God for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand.